We are continuing along the chronological life of Jesus. We are in Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 1. So remember, we're in the last four months or so, last four or five months of Jesus' life. And, uh, um, but again, half of the gospel is, is, deals with about the last six months of his life. So Luke chapter 13, reading from verse 1. Now on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? Luke chapter 13, verse 3. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And he began telling them a parable. He said, a man had a fig tree which had been planted in the vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, and he did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? Reading from verse 8 of Luke 13. And he answered and he said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. Okay, so let's remember the occasion here. There is a crowd, such a big crowd, it said in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, that people were just stepping on each other. There was also a group of disciples sitting right next to Jesus. So Jesus at some points, he's turning to his disciples and speaking to them. And at other points, he's addressing the crowd. So that whole pattern was in Luke chapter 12. And it's continuing now in Luke chapter 13. Because it says in Luke chapter 13, verse 1, now on the same occasion. So the Gospels tell us this is the same occasion that we were dealing with at the end of Luke chapter 12. And in Luke chapter 12, it describes how this situation was, was playing out. He says, now on the same occasion, Luke chapter 13, verse 1, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So this is written historically. It is known what happened. There were a group of Galileans. We don't know how many. Remember, Galilee was about two, and a half, two to three days journey north of Jerusalem, walking journey north of Jerusalem. If you were to go to Galilee now from Jerusalem, it would take you, take you about an, uh, a couple hours' drive. It depends where in the Galilee you would go. But um, uh, it, it says that a group of Galileans came down, and these Galileans had come to worship in Jerusalem. And they brought with them their sacrifices, as was common. They would save the best lamb or the, the best goat. Remember, it had to be a spotless animal for the sacrifice. And they, they were bringing those sacrifices with them as live animals. And also, if it was a large group, they would have to bring food. And how do you bring food? Well, it depends on the length of the journey. You could bring a, a, a preserved meat, or you could bring figs or dates. Or a lot of times they brought live animals, and they would slaughter them on the way and eat them. And, and, and uh, So anyway, they br were bringing with their sacrifices, and Pilate mistook them for a group of Galileans, that had wanted to overthrow his government. So Pilate was a Roman. So Pilate sent out his guards, and they went and they killed these Galileans, and they killed the animals that were with them. And apparently, 
these people's blood, the Galileans' blood, mixed with the blood of their sacrifices. This is what people brought to him and said and, and, and reported to him about these Galileans and what had happened and, and wanted his perspective. And that's not unusual. You know, there's some man of God comes and you tell them about something that has happened and you, you want to get, you know, what does all this mean? You want to get their perspective. Now, in Pharisaical teaching, it, there was, there's a teaching that, that you can read about today in the Mishnah that if there is a, a death that occurs upon a person where it's a particularly violent death, that it could be associated that this person had some great sin in their life. And that's why this horrendous sort of death has come upon them. So they're presenting this situation to Jesus to get his thoughts on it. And Jesus says to them in verse 2, Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will likewise, you will all likewise perish. Now again, Jesus is not wasting words here. He says, there's nothing, they, they weren't any worse than any other Galilean. He says, but let me tell you something. You are all going to likewise perish. What he had just been speaking about in the end of chapter 12 was he was warning them about the fate that is going to come upon Jerusalem in the 70 AD judgment. Because they had rejected him as a nation, in 70 AD there was going to be a judgment. He didn't give them a date, but he said it's coming. So here we're around 30 A.D. He's saying in 70 A.D. there's going to be a judgment that's going to occur. He didn't give them the date, but he said a judgment is coming. And he's describing to them, you are all going to die. And some of you will likewise die in the same way. He says you will likewise perish. And it's interesting, the last battle for the Temple Mount in the 70 A.D. judgment, when the Romans finally took over the city, was in the Temple and the people in the temple were killed, along with all the sacrifices in the temple were killed. And the people's blood mixed in Jerusalem with the sacrifices that were in the temple. So when Jesus said, you will all likewise perish, he didn't say you will all, all perish. He said you will all likewise perish. Remember, the scriptures are extremely specific. If you have in your mind, oh, these are all just kind of sort of vague comments, you're wrong. They're not they comments. They are very specific. He says, you will all likewise perish. What he's making reference to is he's making reference to something that's going to occur 40 years later to them and to their families in the last battle of the temple compound. Then he brings something else to them so it's not Galileans he's referring to. He brings it right back home to Jerusalem because remember, he's here in Jerusalem at this time. So he says in verse 4, or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So he brings it home to Jerusalem. What had happened recently in the current events, there was a tower by the pool of Siloam. That tower fell and killed 18 people. 18 men were killed by a tower that fell. And so you, you see these towers in, in Jerusalem. You see these towers all over Israel. This tower fell. And there was no reinforced concrete. Uh, they didn't have rebar in there. And so, so things were more brittle. And, and a tower fell and killed 18 people. And he said to them, 
you will all likewise perish. Well, what happened in the battle for the Temple Mount? There were these, these, uh, there were these towers around the wall, and what the Romans did is they went and they compromised the foundations of the tower as they were laying siege to the city, causing the towers to fall inward and killing the people that were living in Jerusalem during the siege. He's making reference, again, he's prophesying and making reference to things that are going to happen to these very people, and he's warning them. Then he goes on, and he starts in verse 6 to tell them a parable. Remember, as he speaks to the masses, he tells them parables. He said, a man had a vineyard, he, planted, he, he, he had planted a vineyard, and he came and he was looking for fruit on one of these trees, and he didn't find any in verse 7. He said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even take up the ground? And he answered and he said, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. And that makes sense to a person who plants a vineyard. Their business is, is getting fruit from these trees. And if a tree is unproductive... You, you cut it down. That's not unusual. In fact, a, a friend of mine is—he uh, uh, he used to be the, the head cowboy of King Ranch. And you know, this this guy's a real man. I mean, he's head cowboy of King Ranch. And you're talking about a ranch that has about a million acres. It's the biggest ranch in the world. I mean, it's a big ranch. And so he—we were looking over the, the, these these cattle, and, and so the, these were all the the, uh, the cows, and the cows give birth. And to a calf every year. And that calf, if it's a male, is going to be a steer. If it's a female, it's, it's going to, to uh, uh, be used to, to uh, uh, have more offspring. But, so he said that, that uh, if they don't bear for one year, if just one year they don't get pregnant and bear, that's it. You know, they're just, they're just they're, they are, they are sent off to the, the, the feedlot where they just feed them fat and then they kill them. So, dependent upon these cows to stay alive is they have to have a calf every year. That's just ranching, right? Isn't it? And that, that's how it works. We give them one chance. You give them, oh, you, you give them one. So, okay, so you guys are really merciful. It, yeah, so it's better to be a cattle on, on, on uh, Corey's ranch than on King Ranch. King Ranch, there's, you, you, there's, there's no second chances for a cow there. So anyway, so that's that's just the way the way it is. So this vineyard keeper says, "Give me one more year. Three years you've come looking. Give me one more year." So it's as if God the Father is saying to Jesus, "Just cut them down," and Jesus is saying, "Give them another year. Give them another year." But he says, "Judgment will come if there is no fruit." So what does all this mean to us? Jesus is warning them from this time period. What does all this mean to us? Where, where do we stand on this as, as, as uh, people not living in that generation and at that time? Why don't you turn to Romans, the book of Romans, and we're going to look at a couple of verses in Romans 9, 10, and then look, focus in on Romans chapter 11. So go to the, book of the, the, the epistle according to the Romans. And uh, uh, so you, you will find in Romans that... that um, so Romans is a little bit after Luke. So, so after Luke, tur turn a few books and you'll find Romans. And uh, uh, you you'll find uh, uh, John, Acts, and then Romans. In Romans chapter 9, uh, let's just look at verse 1. Romans chapter 9 and verse 1. 
Look at what Paul says here. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Okay, so what is Paul saying? Paul says, I am so grieved for my brethren in the flesh, meaning my fellow Israelites, I am so grieved for them that they don't know the Messiah, that I would be willing to sacrifice my own eternity with Jesus. I would give that up if they would just receive Him. Do you see how much this man loves his fellow Israelites? A man might give his life for another, but to give your eternity... That's how grieved he was. How much he wanted for them. You might find this in a parent for a child. You might find this sort of attitude that I would give up my eternity for you to be saved and and, and come to know Jesus. But Paul did this for his fellow Israelites. So this is what he's talking about in this portion. Now look look in uh, uh, chapter 10, Romans chapter 10. Let's read verse 1 again in chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but it is not according to knowledge. So, he's saying in verse 10, he's saying again, he says, My heart's desire, my prayer for them, meaning Israel, is that they would come to know God. That they would come to know Jesus the Messiah. Remember, Paul's preaching in here in, in, in Romans, somewhere around, around 50 A.D. period, somewhere around in there. So he knows that this judgment is going to be coming on Jerusalem, and he also knows what their eternity will be without Jesus. And so now let's, let's look in, uh, in verse 21 of that same chapter. So verse 21 of Romans chapter 10. But as for Israel, he says... All the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So this he's quoting from the Old Testament now. He's quoting from the Hebrew Scriptures themselves where God said, All day I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now, what happens sometimes is that sometimes we look at people who are disobedient and obstinate and we were like, shouldn't be like that. And... The Lord keeps referring this back to, our, to us. And He gives us warning through this. So let's start reading in chapter 11, verse 1 of Romans. I say then, God has not rejected His people, has He? May it never be, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Or do you... Not know that the scriptures say in the passage about Elijah how he pleads with God against Israel. So, he says in verse 1, he says, God has not rejected his people. It couldn't be. It couldn't be that he's rejected his people because I'm an Israelite, he says. So remember, Jesus was a Jew and all the apostles were Jews. Some people think that Luke was not a Jew. Other people think that he was certainly a Jew by the way he understood the Jewish customs. Uh, uh, but but uh, one of the gospel writers. But as far as the apostles, they were all Jews. In fact, that was a requirement among them. Uh, 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 so so um, so so this was one of the requirements, and they had to have seen Jesus to be an apostle. 
Paul was a Jew. This book was written, we, we have these Gospels, we have the characterization, all written to us by Jews. And Paul's going to speak about this in this very chapter. He talks about how they kept these records for us. He says, God has not neglected His people. How could it be? Because I'm a Jew. I'm a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. He knew precisely the tribe that he was from. And so he had his tribal identity there. And so let's, let's turn down, in ver- down to uh, verse 11 of cha- Romans chapter 11. We're going to start reading now from verse 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 11. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. What does that mean? He's saying God, he's saying Israel did not stumble so as to totally fall. Yeah, they may have tripped up. He says, but I'm telling you, by their transgression, by their denial of the Messiah, because of their denial of the Messiah, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So how many of you here are Jewish? Okay, and I am too. So the vast majority of people here are Gentiles. Why has salvation come to the Gentiles? It says to make the Jew jealous. That's why. I remember when I, when I first went to college and I started meeting born-again Christians. And they shared the gospel with me. And I started to see their lives. I started to see their gatherings. They'd invite me to their gatherings or I'd sit with them at the, in the cafeteria. I was so impressed by what they had. They had this community where when, they were, when somebody was laughing, they were all laughing and having a good time together. They weren't laughing at somebody else's expense. That's the only laughter I knew. You had a group of people who, was laughing, who were laughing. They were laughing at somebody else's expense and it was often my expense. And all of us have felt that pain. And I saw their community. And I saw the way they prayed together. And the way, the way they cared for each other. And I was jealous for what they had. This is what he says. He says, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous. This is what he says. That's why salvation has come. Now that I have the Messiah Jesus... I have several Orthodox Jewish friends that tell me that they envy what I have. They envy this ability to look into the Scriptures and learn from it. They envy the relationship that I have with God. So you would think it would draw them to Jesus. And it does. They haven't come yet, but it's drawing them. God said, salvation has come to you to make the Jew jealous. What I'm telling you is, you are to care about the Jew. And I know that there's a lot of dumping in the world on Jews. Jews do this, Jews do that. I don't mean that you have to all, of, all the time support them politically. But let your prayer be for their good. God told Abraham, of your offspring, those who bless you I will bless, those who curse you I will curse. And in this very class, I've gone through it throughout history. Those who have cursed the Jews have had very difficult lives. And the very cursings they proclaimed came upon themselves. Do them good because remember... God has placed, given you salvation so that your relationship with God would make the Jew jealous. Verse 12, 
Now, if their transgression, remember, the Jews transgressed. They didn't receive the Messiah. Now, if their transgressions is, uh, transgression is riches for the world, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? If the transgression of the Jews has brought salvation to you, how much more will their fulfillment, will their coming to know the Messiah be a blessing to you? And you will find in your lives that when you see a Jew come to know Jesus, that Jew will place the blessings of God in your life. That will happen. He says, if their transgression has meant salvation has come to you, how much more their salvation? If the Jews get saved, they are going to bless you so much. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their good. This is what he's saying. He says in verse 13 of Romans chapter 11, but I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Who's Paul speaking to? He's speaking to you. I'm speaking to the Gentiles now. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. Again, here's this thing of jealousy. Paul said, I magnify my ministry. Paul, remember, was the apostle that was sent by God to the Gentiles. That was his ministry. The door was opened by Peter because the keys had been given to Peter to open the door. As soon as Peter opened the door... To, to the Jews in Jerusalem, the door was open. As soon as Peter opened the door to the Samaritans, the door was open. As soon as Peter opened the door to the Gentiles, the door was open. And now, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. And he says, I love my ministry. I magnify it. I love my ministry to the Gentiles, Paul says. But I do this so that through your lives, you might make my fellow countrymen jealous and some of them get saved. Because through your life, you are to model to the Jews what a relationship with God can be. And they will long for what you have. It really makes the Jew jealous. I saw that. I knew that. And I wanted the relationship that they had. I wanted the community that they had. What should cause in 200 years from just a few men, what should cause in just 200 years Christianity to become the dominant world religion? And it was because they cared for the sick and they took care of the poor. The way Christians reach out is like no other faith. Not at all. You might find a hospital here and there set up by some other faith. But you look all over the world and you see the impact of believers, of Christians who have given their lives to set up hospitals and institutions and places to be of aid to people. And that's not to say that Christians haven't abused things. They have. They are human and they have. But that is a corruption of their faith and not an outworking of their faith. So he says here, he says that in verse 14, if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. By Gentiles coming to faith, you move the, the Jews to jealousy, saying, I want that. Verse 15, for if their rejection is reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Pray for the good of the Jew. 
Pray that they come to know Jesus. Because if their transgression has meant your salvation, imagine what their coming to the Messiah will be in your life. This is what he's saying. He says, they will be a tremendous blessing to you. It will be life from the dead. You go ahead and you try to befriend a Jew and try to reach out to them. You will find in your life somewhere a Jew coming back and pouring into your life or pouring into the life of one of your children. It will be life to the dead in your life. He says in verse 16, If the first piece of the dough is holy, the whole lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being wild olive, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them, and became partakers with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. So what is he saying? He's saying, Israel is like an olive tree. Branches were broken off because of their disobedience. And you, a wild olive branch, were grafted in. And you are partaking of the root of that tree. Because your whole life is based on the scriptures, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, that was kept and written by Jews. The New Testament was written by Jews. They are the ones who preach this gospel. There were no Gentiles in the church. Sometimes people will say to me, yeah, it's really amazing, you're a Jew and you know you believe all this stuff. I'm like, huh? It's amazing that you as a Gentile believe this. The whole gospel, the whole church was so Jewish. There were only Jews in the church. It wasn't until Peter, by the intercession of God, went and preached in the house of Cornelius and all these Gentiles got saved. And even then, they were scratching their head. What do we make of this? Gentiles can get saved too? Huh, it's weird. That's why I think it's weird. There's a bunch of Gentiles in here. The amazing thing is the Gentiles have come in. This is so Jewish. You read this book, it's so Jewish. There's nothing here of Christian. It's all Jewish culture. The whole thing. This is the root that feeds you. The root that feeds you. And how some Gentiles can speak condescendingly of the Jews. It's like, don't you realize the scriptures that you have? Don't you realize how this is taking care of you? Paul speaks about how the Jews kept these, watched over them, protected them, valued them, or else these scriptures never would have last, lasted. He says, he says in, in, in verse 18, Remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Verse 19, you will say then, well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Verse 20, quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He'll not spare you either. Behold the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in His kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. Look at that. If there's ever a bit of pride in us, oh, you know, they've been cut off so that we could be grafted in. He says, watch out. You stand because of your faith. And they were cut off because of their unbelief. But you fear. Fear God. 
you will be cut off. He's saying this to believers. He's writing to believers. You will be cut off. You say, well, I thought once saved, always saved. That is right. Your salvation is there. But you'll be cut off from the life of God. If you fall away from your faith, you will be cut off from the life of God. You'll have very little difference between you or anyone else in the world. And you'll not experience His joys. So fear God and keep His commandments. Verse 23. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what was by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So look what he says. He says, you get a Jew who comes to the Lord and let them start walking in faith. And you're going to watch that natural branch be grafted back in to their own tree. And you watch what the difference is going to be. Pray for their good. Pray for their good. It will be life from the dead. When Jesus warns them in Luke in Luke chapter 13, when he had warned them that they were to, to, uh, 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 to turn, to repent, remember that we shouldn't stand there in judgment like, why didn't you repent? Why didn't you just see this? Just remember, the reason that you are saved, the reason your salvation has come, is to make the Jew jealous. So well, I'm not sure I kind of like that. Take it up with God. But it is a blessing to you. It is a blessing to you. Pray for their good. Pray for the salvation of the Jew. Verse 25, For I do not want you, in verse Romans chapter 11, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So a partial hardening has come over Israel because of their disobedience and the rejection of the Messiah. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, until the full number of Gentiles, God's keeping count, has come in. And then there's going to be a turn. And then Israel will come. This is what he says. But he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren. And... and uh, um, so that you will not be wise in your own eyes, in your own estimation. A partial hardening has come. Verse 26, And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion, He will remove all ungodliness from Jacob. This is My covenant with them, when I will take away their sins. So, what's going to happen? And we read about this in the book of Revelation. We read about it prophesied in the Old Testament. That there will be a day, three and a half years into the tribulation that will come upon the earth. Seven year tribulation. Halfway through the tribulation, there is going to come where the Jews come to know the Messiah. The nation of Israel will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember Jesus said, you will not see my face again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Just as the nation of Israel, though individuals could come out and receive Him, the nation of Israel, Israel rejected Him collectively. 
the nation of Israel will welcome him back. It says that they will look upon him. It talks about in the Old Testament. They will look upon him whom they have pierced and they will weep as for an only begotten son. They will recognize and they will weep. This is what will happen to the nation of Israel. And all Israel will be saved. And then God will take 144,000 of them and send them throughout the world as His evangelists. And then Jews will go out and evangelize the world for Jesus the Messiah. That's what it tells us in the book of Revelation. And 144,000 of those Jews will be taken and sent out and evangelized. He says, I want you to be aware of this. So in verse 28, from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. So he's saying, from the standpoint of the gospel, they were enemies for your sake. They were made enemies. You can now make them jealous by coming to the Lord and walking in faith. He says, but, but from God's standpoint, they were chosen. Why? Not because of their own righteousness, but because of their fathers. Because of his promise to Abraham. He loved Abraham so much, he made a promise to Abraham. You gave me your son. I'm going to take care of your children. Because of the fathers. Because of the heritage they had of their fathers. This is why it's important for us as parents, for any of you here who is a parent, or any of you here who one day wants to become a parent, that you leave a legacy. That God blesses your children because of your walk. I know that when my children travel, when they go other places, they are cared for so much because of what Shireen and I have done for other people's children in our home. Everywhere my children go, they are blessed. We leave a legacy. They were blessed. They are blessed because of the Father's. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, that, uh, shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. God's mercy is upon all of us. So when we read these portions in Luke chapter 13, about Jesus saying, you know, the same thing's going to happen to you. Gospels tell us to also fear God. Same things can happen to us in unbelief. Let us walk with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is so good and right and holy. And every word that you have said has either come to pass or will come to pass. And I pray for these young people that they would pray for the good of the Jews, that they would pray for the salvation of the Jews and that through that they may see life from the dead. Father, that it would do great things in their lives. Father, I pray that you would cause them to always fear, to not walk in pride, but to fear God and keep His commandments. Father, put the fear of God in these young people that they would fear from stepping away in unbelief. Father, that they would not step away in unbelief, but they would take hold of you and fear God. Have mercy upon them, I pray. 
in the name of Jesus. Amen.